This is Season 3 of Grain IQ. I'm your host, Chad Moyer. Grain marketing is a critical piece in keeping your operation profitable. In Seasons 1 and 2 of Grain IQ, we covered the basics of grain marketing and how to put those concepts into action. If you haven't listened to those first two seasons, we invite you to start there. Joining us today is Mike Zuzalo. He's with Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, thanks for visiting with us uh, here today. Uh, we're calling this kind of our small grain special and uh, really focusing on how wheat plays into the overall grain marketing plan. Uh, first of all, Mike, uh, if you can, uh, just in general, uh, just talk about the influence of corn and soybeans versus wheat. How does that wheat figure, how does what happens in wheat figure into what we do with corn and soybeans. Yeah, that, that's an excellent way to start off. And Chad, thanks for having me back. I, I think the biggest thing that the producer out there, especially the ag producer in terms of grains and also the livestock producer in terms of being a feed buyer, um, needs to continue to keep in mind as he goes through his marketing process and his growing process, uh, is that the wheat market is an especially strong competitor with the corn market when it comes to livestock feed and looking at 2023, something that is in real time, that's not just this year, it's historically, but this year it seems to be even more prescient because we had just this past week and we've had for several weeks now cancellations of Chinese corn. And it's become pretty well known that yes, China is buying cheaper corn from South America at this point, especially Brazil, but they've also come into a better trade relationship in the past year or so versus the past three or four years with Australia. Australia has a bumper crop of wheat that they're letting go of in the export market. And between the cheaper price and the logistics and the freight costs, transportation to Northeast China, where the livestock feeding is so strong in that part of the country, uh, that has really, I think, impacted us more than maybe producers understand. Livestock feeders maybe understand that better, but the corn, bean, wheat producer doesn't maybe necessarily understand that. So wheat, to me, in my analysis, going all the way back to when I started in 1995, between the currencies and between this feed relationship, wheat really is the starting point for my price uh, analysis and what I think corn prices can get to. It's not just about supply demand for the corn and livestock and exports for the corn. It's is the feed available and do we have a lot of competitors in other parts of the world that can take away from our feeding export business? And I think that's really going on right now. Okay. So is there a time that wheat can have an influence on soybean, the supply of soybeans that we have? Is, is it a discussion about, uh, is it an acreage battle? Is it planting conditions? Is there a point where wheat does affect soybeans? Yeah. And I think, again, 2023 is probably a bellwether year to be watching for. This is one of those years where I think you can make a lot of notes for years going forward because we do seem to be wanting to say we've got a lot of winter wheat acres going in. Those winter wheat acres harvested in June, July, when we had, you know, the November soybean prices upwards of $13.50, almost $14 a bushel. Producers in corn and bean country, soft red wheat country, hard red wheat country, 
the anywhere in the winter wheat belt essentially could go after the oil seeds after harvesting that wheat. And I think they would do that, especially given the prices earlier this year with or without crop insurance protection. And I think that's something that really is needing to be watched here as we get into July and August when we get updated acreage base numbers from FSA that USDA will bake into their acreage base. We could see a bump in soybean acres because of a larger than normal uh, double crop bean crop coming in. All right, just quickly, uh, on the battle for feed, um, what are the price points where on corn and, and wheat, what are kind of the price points where they start to push and pull on each other? Yeah, excellent question. And I'm, I'm looking at soft red wheat when I do my analysis. And since this is grain IQ, I'm going to go into my analysis just a, a little bit deeper. Soft red wheat minus corn, typically you go below 60 cents premium soft red wheat minus corn you start to gain favor in feeding wheat. You get negative like we were when the May wheat and the May corn went off the board here about a week or so ago. You're really building in a lot more wheat feeding and you add to that wheat feeding by other animals. And I think that's where, you know, you kind of start off with the poultry side and then you move into the hogs and then finally you finish with the cattle. This goes back to why or how long it takes to feed animals out you don't want to start a, an animal on feed and then jump around on it and mess up its gain. And so that's why we, we see poultry react first on this wheat corn spread, then all the way down to cattle. If, if Kansas makes up 25 percent of the available wheat to the United States, what are the other areas of the country to keep an eye on? Where do those other classes of wheat come from? Yeah, great question. And it's a tale of two cities when it comes to Missouri. I mean, you're looking at an extremely good crop. I think the last time I saw they were near an 80% good to excellent winter wheat crop. That's soft red wheat, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, parts of Kentucky. But uh, those three states mainly are going to make up the vast majority. All right. And then when you go, I know you get uh, spring wheat in the northern plains, right? And then uh, you're talking some wheat in the Pacific Northwest, too, I think? Yes, Montana, Idaho. Now, USDA did take down Idaho and Washington State. They actually still have Montana up versus last year. That's one of the big states I'm watching. And that then blends into the Canadian prairies because Saskatchewan, Manitoba, those are big competitors with us. And if they lose some of their wheat crop, that could be just like us losing some when it comes to the cash market. And I think last thing about the wheat market when it comes to the marketing side of the equation that you asked about, Chad, is I really believe that the cash market's going to have to lead our way out of this hole that we're in because the funds, I think, are entrenched in a negative demand market and adequate supplies, no weather problems from here on out. Okay. So the wheat that comes out of Kansas, uh, uh, hard, and then uh, you said soft uh, to the east, I believe. Uh, What is the destiny of that wheat? Is that mostly feed or what are we doing with it? Yeah, it depends on the quality. You know, your hard red wheat is typically the highest quality other than the white wheat when it comes to baking. Soft red wheat would be maybe used for uh, uh, pastas and things like that. And so uh, it, it, you're either going to go to cookies, you're either going to go to pasta, or you're gonna, either going to go to the breads. And But if your quality's not there, say you drop below 10.5% protein, that's when it really becomes a feed issue. And we do have plenty of wheat around the world as a feed and below 10.5%. That is one of the biggest reasons why if you look at a 30-year price chart, uh, wheat oftentimes in the soft red market will make a low in terms of a major low before the corn does. From my analysis, about 30 to 45 days before the lead month corn does. 
Okay. Uh, you mentioned it a couple of times. Let's talk about abandonment because it does seem to be a talking point related to this year's wheat crop. Um, I guess define abandonment. What does that mean and how does that impact the markets then? How do the markets digest that? Yeah, abandonment would be closely associated with your crop insurance and the adjustment. If, if a crop insurance adjuster comes in and puts a zero on your field, then it, it's essentially going to be abandoned at that point. You're not going to run a combine across it. Now, producers do have in many states the opportunity to go ahead and till that wheat under and go ahead and try and put something else in the ground. And their crop insurance may or may not cover part of that. It just depends on what policy you take and so on and so forth. I don't have a crop insurance license, so I'll stop at that point. Yeah, I was going to say, is that uh, does that meet the definition of, of double crop or is that just replacing one crop over the other? Yeah, double crop would actually be two successful crops, right? That's a great question. All right. So again, kind of take that. Uh, what What is double cropping and where does that seem to be successful? How does that influence things? Yeah, usually south of I-70 in, in the primary corn and bean belt is where crop insurance really plays a role for taking, say, soft red wheat or hard red wheat and putting in soybeans in July, a very quick variety, obviously, of soybeans and get the maximum daylight as you can. Uh, in July and August. And, and then obviously, you know, by early September, those beans are going to turn probably with the rest of the mature beans that you planted back a couple months prior. Uh, so south of I-70 is where most of the double crop acres are. But that doesn't mean we can't have them above nor uh, north of I-70 and in other parts of the country just because of how high the new crop beans were when we got to planting. Okay. Uh, again, coming back to how we market wheat, what are the big influences that uh, that would push wheat prices one way or the other? You know, we talked about that connection to corn, and I know corn. You could make an argument corn is tied to crude oil, right? Uh, uh, what about in the dollar index, especially if you're talking about exports? Uh, is there a relationship between wheat and some other things? Yeah, excellent point because you nailed two of them right there and then. The soft red wheat and the dollar typically have a very negative relationship. And it makes sense because, as you say, crude oil and the dollar usually have a very negative relationship. And if crude oil is going higher, RBOB unleaded is probably going higher. And that usually means more blending for uh, ethanol for the corn market here domestically. And so what I did, I think I brought along a chart that goes back to something like 1976. And what you see in the bar chart is the annual price, high, low and close, open, high, low and close of soft red wheat. And then the orange line is which, and that's the left axis on this chart, is the U.S. dollar index. And if you just take a look at it from, say, 30,000 feet, notice a lot of times major lows in wheat are accompanied with major highs in the dollar and vice versa. And so that's why, along with the funds and they how they tend to trade these currencies, um, along with what we've talked about already in the program, that dollar can play a large role in what my price average analysis says or suggests, what my overvalue and undervalue levels suggest. And just to give you an idea and the producers an idea, we're deep in undervalue territory when it comes to the wheat right now in terms of average price. And that's a lot of the reason is because of the strength in the dollar recently. Okay. So uh, you start talking about that connection to the dollar, and that makes me think about exports. Who are we competing against in the world market for getting our wheat into the international marketplace? Yeah, usually Argentina and Australia and the Black Sea are going to be our top three. And then you throw on top of that Canada, 
Um, but I think that's where this year the Black Sea grain deal extension has played an extra negative role. But here again for the 23-24 marketing year, and USDA picked up on this in their WASDE report last week, we're going to be down about 50% in corn production, and we're going to be down about 20% in wheat production versus pre-war levels for this current marketing year, this 23-24 marketing year. So even if the grain deal goes through, yes, they have supplies at the ports from the old crop, but they're going to have a lot less new crop supplies. So if we don't go into a major recession, if the U.S. dollar doesn't go higher on a deflationary mindset, we could and I think we'll see better corn and wheat export. And I, the, the USDA is already saying they think they're going to, we're going to see better corn exports in 23-24. They don't feel that way yet in the wheat market. All right. Very good. Mike, it's good to have you on with us. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. You too, Chad. Have a great day. You do the same. Again, that's uh, Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodities Analytics. And again, a discussion on our wheat special, if you will, small grain special here on Grain IQ. Again, this is a project of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association in connection with the Nebraska Soybean Board. Grain IQ is a production of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association with support from the Nebraska Soybean Board. It is brought to you in part by Nebraska soybean farmers and their checkoff. Grain IQ is hosted by Chad Moyer and produced by Rebel Seclocha. It is written and edited by Alex Makovica. Our project manager is Bryce Dewskid. You can listen to Grain IQ on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or online at ruralradionetwork.com.